You're listening to. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. With Don Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. Hey listeners, it's Dawn and we are back with another episode of Sex Gets Real. This week I am joined by fellow pleasure professional from O-School, Luna Matadas. Luna is incredible. We talk all about strap-on sex and pegging the patriarchy, anal etiquette for sex clubs. We feel listener questions and we have this incredible geek-tastic like soul feeding conversation about non-sexual kink and how we can access so much more pleasure and connection and intimacy and even erotic energy when we expand our ideas about sex and touch and who we're allowed to do those things with. I love this conversation. Of course, you can watch Luna live for free on O School. She is one of the educators. She has a great weekly stream called Fuck Like a Goddess. And I also am streaming every single Wednesday. I have a show called Pop Culture Undressed. Last week, we geeked out all about the Twilight series and some of the things that it taught us, especially as such a huge cultural movement, about love and relationships and sex and the morality of it all. This coming week, I'm going to be talking all about the phenomenon of The Bachelor. It's been around for 22 seasons. So what does that tell us about America and how we feel about love, even when it's completely fabricated? I also have some streams coming up on O-School about pegging in Hollywood movies, John Hughes' 80s films, and so much more. If you want to grab any of my workshops, also remember that you can head to dawnsarah.com slash courses. I have my brand new porn workshop available there, plus a relationship charter, a relationship reconnection workbook, a workshop all about anal, and so much more. So be sure to check that out. So let me tell you a little bit about Luna, and then we will dive into this week's episode. Plus, Patreon supporters, I want you to know that Luna and I recorded exclusive content for you. So if you support at the $3 level and above, you can hear our wonderful chat all about water sports. She really likes piss play and she has been featured on a vice video talking about it and teaches about it. And so I thought that would be a really fun bonus conversation for Patreon supporters. So be sure to head over to patreon.com slash sex gets real to hear all about piss play with Luna and, or to support the show so that you can grab access. So Luna Matadas is a sex and pleasure educator, crafting goddess and burlesque performing wannabe. She celebrates femininity, sex, and body positivity, and all things that glitter. Luna packs over 10 years of experience internationally and locally in health and sexuality education. She takes a playful, realistic, and open-minded approach to adult education. As a self-identified pleasure pusher, Luna facilitates accessible, judgment-free, and safe spaces for people to be curious about their bodies, desires, and relationships with themselves and others. Her workshops are refreshingly funny, warm, and inviting. She loves hugs and is terrified of spiders and eggplant, which I wish I had had a chance to ask her about when we were talking because I kind of think eggplant's delicious and I love that she's terrified of it, but that brings me joy and delight. So here is my conversation with Luna. And then if you're a supporter on Patreon, be sure to head to Patreon to hear the rest. Welcome to Sex Gets Real, Luna. I am super excited for our chat today. Oh my gosh, me too. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Because... We're going to talk about butt stuff and sex clubs and strap-ons and threesomes. And for our Patreon supporters, there's going to be a whole separate convo about water sorts and piss play. So, like, we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff today. I'm super pumped. So here's where I want to start. You make the Peg the Patriarchy shirts, right? I do, yeah. 
Those are some of my favorite shirts that pretty much exist in the world today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I love it so much. And I would love to know just kind of like what inspired you to make those shirts and what the response has been. Because every person that I see wearing it, I'm like, well, automatically, I know you're cool. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I wanted an international symbol for cool. And so, <laughs> you know, it came to me because um, I, I really wanted to find a way to kind of um, marry my interests in equity and social justice and and also sex and and so some people kind of interpret peg the patriarchy as as way more sexual and some people interpret it as way more um kind of uh, a protest to the patriarchy and so i guess it falls somewhere in between for me because i originally was like you know i was lying around and it was one of those like you're sitting in your underwear and you're like <laughs> you know thinking and and i i love creating and and i'm a, a communicator by trade and so words like really make me hot and um all of a sudden i came up with this alliteration of like peg the patriarchy and i thought yeah it needs a good pegging it's not gonna peg itself and the idea fact um yeah fact and the idea totally stemmed from this idea of subversion and and really looking at like how do we challenge systems um that are uh, not advantageous to the majority of people by using them against them so basically by by subverting it and uh and so for me even in my own kinky role play i love subversion role play i like the idea of um having an identity of power that i don't normally have in like a day-to-day -day life and also um kind of matching that and playing with someone else's identity of power that they choose to surrender within our, our kinky play. Hmm. So is that where a whole bunch of your femdom stuff comes in? Totally. Like I stumbled upon femdoming after being, um, thinking of myself as a submissive for like many, many years. And I still have those fantasies and, and I still enjoy that kind of play. But femdoming for me, like really unlocked all of these um, access points to things like subversion role play and to things like, wow, like I can experience all of the intensity of, of being in a different kind of identity that also makes me feel erotic. I love that of getting to kind of have that, that like mind fuck and social justice lens, but at the same time, like really kind of centering it in your pleasure and the erotic, like what a delicious like marriage. <laughs> yeah. It's so yummy. It's so yummy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So because Peg the Patriarchy is, you know, talking about pegging and butt stuff, I know that you have uh, your butt stravaganza coming <laughs> up. So for people who are listening to this on release day on Sunday, your butt stravaganza is going to be Monday on O School. Is that right? Yes. January 15th is my birthday. And so I decided to have it as my buck day. And uh, so I'm doing a, a butt stravaganza stream around um, how can we seduce the anus? How can we flirt with the butt? And also I'll be doing a bunch of butt giveaways, all kinds of butt stuff for anyone that's tuning in. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So can we talk a little bit about seducing the anus? Because I get lots of listener questions who, you know, are folks who are kind of like, so my partner brought up that they want to try butt stuff, but I'm pretty nervous or I've done it once or twice and it hurt really bad and it was terrible. So I don't know if I can do it again. So for people who aren't super familiar with the butt stuff, what are some of your tips and or just experiences around seducing something that might feel really scary for people. Yeah. And I, I totally appreciate it. It feels very scary. I think most people's um, or a lot of people's experiences with, with anal for the first time, especially anal penetration um, has, has been painful. And, and there's a lot of porn that centers around, you know, panel and that we think that anal does have to be involving some kind of pain. And mm -hmm. Um, I think like a lot of activities, especially kinky activities and, and things where we're learning a technique, we often focus so much on the activity and we forget that there's like a person attached to this butthole that we're trying to get into. <laughs> and, and so they we lose all of the um, ability to bring in pleasure from like setting the mood and like connecting to the person and connecting to the rest of the body while we're focused on this one delicious area. And um, so a lot of my tips are around um, really focusing on the non-penetration penetrative play because mm -hmm. you know once the person gets kind of comfortable with um not only their physical discomfort and, and kind of opening up the sphincters that that guard our 
um, anus, but even mentally, like there's a lot of shame around the anus. There's a lot of taboo. There's a lot of fear around unhygienic things coming out of it and, uh, you know, farting or shitting on someone. And, and so there's, there's hangups kind of for the person receiving it. And then there's hangups for the person who is giving it. So I find things like, um, like a crack massage or, or butthole teasing, or even like kissing around the bum cheeks or the backs of the legs or down the lower back. And so we're kind of expanding the geography of pleasure for the bum area, mm-hmm. um, can help you build a relationship and even learn the person's responses. Cause a lot of times, like maybe someone's in a position where you can't read their face or they're not communicative with words during anal play. And so you don't really know, like, are they just taking it so that we can like get this done? Like, are they right. just wanting to prove like that they can do this? Um, and so for some people it can be really frustrating, even if they're into it mentally and their, um, body just isn't cooperating that day. So anal pleasure doesn't have to stop if penetration isn't possible. There's so much more that people can do with all the little nerves that are puckered around the opening of the anus. Mm -hmm. I think something else that like has been helpful for me is realizing it can be completely silly and like, because even though it's the butt, we don't have to take it super seriously. Yes. We can laugh and if you fart it's a funny thing and not like a now the night's ruined thing and like uh, even just kind of like oh that feels good that feels good whoa okay too much and then giggles and yeah you know I I think kind of taking that like I'm gonna try and do the thing and then feeling like either a success or a failure depending mm-hmm. on what happened that day. Cause even in my experience, it's like some days it's way easier than others. And it's just my body being like, yep or nope. Yeah. I totally agree with like a, a playful, um, fun kind of, um, approach to, to butt play and, and really feeling like you can laugh at yourself and you can laugh at your partner and you can laugh at the butt toy that fell on the floor and the wipes that are cold or, whatever, whatever is, whatever is going on. Um, and it can also lead to conversations that are like, oh, like that didn't feel good, but I liked when you were doing this other thing. And so improving kind of the feedback loop through playfulness, I think is super, super fun and super hot. Yeah, I agree. I agree that it's super hot and like, and, and just kind of letting go of those goals, right? Like maybe a, an erect penis or dildo isn't going to go in your ass anytime soon. But that doesn't mean it can't still be really fun and interesting to play with fingers and other toys. And, you know, like for me and my body, I pretty much have to have the wand on my clit in order to like just get the anal started. Right. And then once it's happening and my body's like, oh, okay, this is okay. This is pleasurable. Then it's then it's kind of like all in no holds barred. But like I up for my body 95% of the time I have to start with the wand on my clit. And so I discovered that just by like playing and talking to other people and reading things. And, and so I love kind of just this invitation of like, we can be curious and playful and like, sometimes it can be serious, but let's not start there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think that there's a lot of hangups also around like who enjoys anal and who gives anal and those stereotypes can um, prevent us from being a little bit more like silly and playful and honest. Like I, I love giving anal as much as I like receiving anal and depending on the connection or, or the person that I'm with, like that could mean eating their ass or it could just be a finger or it could be pegging with a finger instead of a full on strap on. Like maybe their eyes are too big for their butt. And so, (laughs) (laughs) cause that's a thing. Yeah, totally. Oh, it's like this big thing. I want this big thing. I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. let's try a finger. (laughs) I just want to name too, just like everybody's vulvas are different and can accommodate different numbers of fingers and sizes of dildos and fists. Uh, same with our butts, you know? We might see somebody who has a similar build to us and think, oh, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Well, your body's totally unique. So uh, let's just start small and stay curious and experiment without going all in with like, I need the 10 inch cup. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. That's so true. Yeah, I love that approach. Okay, so because part of pegging is strap-ons, and I know that you really enjoy teaching strap-on basics and uh, strap-on sex, and that's something that I have really developed a love for over the years. Like, it's so funny. Every freaking time I put my strap-on on, on, there's like this immediate shift in Mm -hmm. my energy. 
of just like all of a sudden kind of being like, yeah, I have a cock. That's right. You know, and I like stroking it and walking around with it on and, and it's just this like really fun kind of um, costume almost that allows me to tap into a very different part of myself. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to know, like, what's your experience with strap-ons, how you got started and kind of why you love teaching it so much? Yeah, I, I have a very similar experience to you with when I put on, um, when I strap on my my cock. It's it makes me feel like it's a conduit to all of the phallic power that I don't normally have access to in like a day-to-day life. I'm like, this thing will like, let me take over the world. Like, it's like, I want to hit people with it. I want to like poke people with it. It's just like, I walk around and I helicopter it in front of the mirror. (laughs) And so I think for, for a lot of people that um, embodiment of like the, the costume or the power can feel intimidating too. So I often get women who, are in my class and they want to strap it on for their their partner and if their partner has a penis then there's a particular dynamic going on there too um and they they're afraid that somehow it will like threaten or take away from their femininity yeah and uh, or their 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 access to their feminine power and for me it actually enhances it and and i think that's sort of the shame that we've learned around what are the things that make someone womanly or feminine or femme identified um, and that there are often things that in, are in contrast with the kind of like phallic power that that's out there. Um, yeah. So for me, feeling like I get to penetrate someone, it's just as sensual as when I get penetrated. I'm like, wow, like I'm inside this person's body, even though it's not um, my actual biological dick. But um, I'm, I'm like bringing this like closeness and openness to to this person's body. And so yeah. I was really turned on by the idea of like, um, being able to be the person that's doing the penetrating. Yeah. And um, I totally had a lot of body shame around that. I'm a plus size person and I have a belly. And so it was difficult sometimes to look at um, centering attention uh, with a cock and a harness around like a my area that I was really shy about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found that was something that I, I had to just be mindful of when I was fucking with the strap on or thinking about it and just be aware that I'm holding that shame and what are the ways that it was holding me back? And one of the ways was that I wasn't embracing thrusting in, in the same way. Like I wasn't thinking about like moving my body in a sensual or sexual way while I was thrusting. I was just kind of trying to like get it in and like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get it in there. Uh, <laughs> it's in. Now what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now what do I do? And so in a lot of my classes, I also teach how to bring sort of sensuality to to pegging and that sensuality can still be um, present if you're playing with a, a rougher scene or you like rough body play or you're playing with a kidnapping scene or some other kind of like power element um the the body contact and uh the dialogue or the dirty talk or maybe other costume elements or using a mirror or anything that kind of brings like the aesthetics into the same line with um has a kind of pleasure that you're trying to deliver so I really like teaching it because it's it's got a lot of equipment and gear and it's really confusing for people um, who are shopping for strap-ons. You, your tendency is going to be to buy the cheapest, you know, nylon kind of plasticky one because you're not sure if you want to commit. But yeah. there are other ways to like explore with pegging before, you know, you decide to to do that. Or, you know, I have a lower priced one that, that I use that's a machine washable and um, it was a great investment for me to spend like 60 bucks on something that, mm-hmm. that I could use and, and involve from. So I like giving people like some tips so that they spend less money and also they, they find the thing that's going to suit their type of play and their bodies. Like you may feel really sexy in a panty harness, like maybe a leather harness feels too butchy for you. So, you know, what are the pros and cons of like using different harnesses for beginners, the positions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so many different elements to it. And I find that it's also one of those skills that, you can evolve, like you can get really fancy, like pinkies up with pegging if you wanted mm-hmm. to. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned the thing about being like plus sized and all of a sudden having all of this focus on an area that that you have some shame around because I definitely have that experience too, you know, like I have a tummy mm-hmm. and I can't use like a five inch or a six inch cock because I just wouldn't work with my body. And so I need like longer, thinner dildos that takes a little bit of searching for to find the ones that I want and the the sizes and the colors that I enjoy so that like I can see it and reach it and be in positions I want to be in when I'm pegging someone. Cause I think like 
you know, when the first time I tried pegging, it was just like, I just want to do it right for this other person. Yeah. And now it's a lot more like, this is super mutual. Like, of course I want my partner to enjoy this, but like, I also really want to enjoy this and feel powerful. And like, I, I agree. I still carry a little bit of shame around just like parts of myself that I've spent a lot of my life trying to hide, yeah. but you know, like, I need it to be comfortable. So yes. what do I need to make this a really comfortable experience so that I can do the thrusting and do the, the things for a really long time if I want to? Yeah, I totally agree. And like the, the opening up areas of learning about like thigh harnesses and mm-hmm. um, even other ways to, to uh, kind of stimulate the, the activity of, of pegging before you move up to investing in whatever you want to invest in has been a real joy for me in learning with participants and, and what some of their, um, uh, their, their concerns are that they bring to the workshop about even like how to get started. Like, how do I even bring this up with my partner that I want to be pegged or I want them to peg me? Like it, I get so many emails from people who are like, I want my partner to do this, but they're not comfortable with it. And mm-hmm. you know, what's, what's the conversation? Like what's the discomfort and, and what's going on that's outside of that, that maybe their needs aren't getting met. So they're like, well, you know, screw you. Like, I don't want to like yeah. <laughs> do this fantasy for you. Where's my male, male gangbang? Or like, I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and for people who are wondering, how do I bring up strap on sex with a partner in a few weeks, I'll be live streaming all about pegging in Hollywood movies on Yay! O School. So... Oh, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. So people, people can tune into that and then be like, I guess I need to watch a few of these movies and then we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can make like a pegging movie night. <laughs> right. So what did these things have in common? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Something else that, I, and I think I've mentioned this on the show a few times, but like I just want to mention it for people who are who are new to this conversation too. Of, as someone who was raised as a girl and socialized to be female and all of my people pleasingness and mm-hmm. always have a smile on your face. It's been a lifelong journey for me to be able to advocate for myself, you know, both like as a woman and as a fat person, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes advocating for myself and articulating needs can be really, really challenging. And uh, one of the things that pegging actually really, helped me around was I used to feel pretty self-conscious about like in the moment adjustment requests Mm. because I didn't want the person I was having sex with to feel bad because of course the scarcity mentality was if I make them feel bad then they won't want to be with me anymore right and pegging what I noticed is that um, most dudes are not hesitant at all to offer minute very on the spot requests for comfort Mm. of, okay, that's a little too deep. Mm-hmm. I need you to slow down. Can you hold still for a minute? I just need to adjust. Okay, I'm ready. Start slow. Yeah. Okay, now you can go faster. You know, and just that kind of like um, narrative that's happening in the moment, it didn't make me feel bad at all because I wanted to respect their body and make it feel good. And by doing what they were asking me to, I was giving a better pegging experience. And that helped teach me that the same is true when I'm the person that's being penetrated or eaten out or touched. That if I offer those adjustments, that unless I'm with a really shitty partner, that person's going to be like, oh, I can make this better. I can do this better let me do that so that we're both having more fun. You know, it was a, it was a really wonderful just kind of modeling that I got to witness and then realize like, Oh, I get to do that too. Yeah. I love that pegging did that for you. I think feedback is so important in so many activities, but especially because I can't feel what you're feeling Mm -hmm. inside when, when my um, silicone dildo is in you. (laughs) So like I need that like verbal feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I got this listener email and I know you teach about this. And so I would love to read the email and then talk a little bit about sex clubs. Sure. Okay. So I got this listener email a little while back that said, I have a question that's been killing me. Hey, Dawn. First, I'd like to say that my name is Victor and that I'm new to your podcast. I love it. I've gone through some of your older episodes and the ones that interested me the most were the ones about swinging, group sex, and sex clubs. 
I've been wondering, how exactly do you find places like that? And how do you usually get into those places? Can you get into clubs like that if you're 18, like myself? Or do you have to be a specific age to get in? Thanks for your time, Victor. So I know that you like doing a class called Intro to Sex Clubs, yeah, where you help people learn all about stuff about how do you get in and what's the etiquette. And so I thought this might be a nice way to kind of work in Victor's question and for us to get to hear all of your amazing advice. Yeah, that's so perfect. I'm so glad Victor asked this because I feel like so many people are are curious about this, like across generations. So we get couples who are like looking to spice up their relationship for sex clubs. You get singles who are interested in um, either hooking up or looking for group things or lots of sex clubs have theme nights. So it's a great way to kind of experience like fetish fantasies or unicorning or, or whatever it is with like-minded people who are also looking for sex. Um, but that there's also so much about sex clubs that can be awkward as fuck. So, like, fact. Fact, fact. so Victor, it's going to be awkward. And I think part of the, the reason is, I mean, even finding sex clubs, like um, it depends on, on kind of where you are and, and what the laws are around it. So sex clubs sometimes in different um, uh, states or, or provinces can be relegated to certain areas. So they have to be like outside or a certain amount of feet away from other places because they're considered licensed, like on premise um, sex places. So it's a people mm -hmm. place where people are having sex on premise. Um, and so it can be hard to find for some people. It can be hard to get into. It can be hard to get to, particularly for um, cisgendered males. A lot of yes. sex clubs have set up um, pricing that's pro well that's prohibitive to to some cisgendered males and um also like certain nights where they're just not allowed to go and so there's there's debates around whether or not that's fair or or whatever but i mean the intention is so that it doesn't get swarmed with yep. with males and it can be very an uncomfortable environment for anyone who isn't socialized as a cisgender male because you're all of a sudden um, in a space where you're naked or half naked or in slutty lingerie around a bunch of strangers. And that can be really triggering for the types of, um, you know, inter unwanted attention and interaction that a lot of people who've been socialized female experience on a day-to-day -day basis, just wearing a turtleneck. Right. So it can, <laughs> like, you know, can feel like super intimidating to be like, hi, what's your name? Want to fuck? Hi, what's your name? Want to fuck? Like it just, there's a lot of a lack of etiquette oh on my how God, to yes. behave in a sex club. Um, so for, for Victor, like in, in kind of like being new to the scene, I would definitely like do some internet research in whatever area is accessible and find out like what clubs there are, because some clubs also offer an online chat community. And so you can kind of get to know people before you actually go to the club. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would definitely show up at the club and expect to be spending like a good two hours because it's got, um, the potential to have like a community feel to it. You have to socialize beyond having just sexual goals. So I often yeah. recommend for people, they have a social goal, a sensual goal and a sexual goal. So the social goal could just be like, I'm going to talk with like three people tonight and just make small talk with no intention of trying to fuck them. And, and that can really kind of help, like, make you look, A, like, not a creeper. Like, you're not just walking around sort of wanking under your towel, like, hoping someone's going to want to, like, help you out. Fact. Um, fact. <laughs> another, another fact. Another fact. Um, and it also kind of helps you meet other people and, and, and just, like, appreciate the, the setting of a sex club is also a place for, for friendliness. It's, it's mm -hmm. not necessarily – it doesn't operate the same way as a bathhouse. And uh, so bathhouses tend to be frequented by men who like having sex with men. And the, the environment there is very different than, than a sex club. Yeah. Um, and then an, a sensual goal could be like, maybe you're going to offer someone a massage or they're going to offer you a massage and you're not going to go for the gold. You're not going to go for breasts or genitals. You're going to stay like on shoulders or feet or ankles and asking permission. So I would like to give you a massage. Is that something you're interested in? Yes. Well, where can I massage you? Cause I was thinking about like your calves or your feet. I'm really good with like big muscles or I like feet or whatever it is. Um, and, and that can be, that can be also a nice way to be like, oh, I connected with someone. Like maybe I didn't like hit it and I didn't like get, you know, an orgasm out of it, but you're, you're practicing these skills that we don't have social narratives around. We don't have like skills or classes on like, well, how do you behave in like a semi-nude hypersexual environment? <laughs> like yeah. we barely have that for like flirting or like bars. Like we don't even know how to behave like, um, properly in there when we're trying to pursue someone. 
Um, and then a sexual goal may be like, maybe you're there to hook up with a couple and, and you really want to um, be in a threesome or you want to be part of something. And, and so they're also thinking more broadly about like beyond like penis and vagina, like maybe you want to be part of a couple as a voyeur. Maybe you want to be part of a couple as, um, you know, just the person there who's kind of doing sensual stuff, or maybe you're doing oral, or maybe you're helping with spanking. So there's so much broader than kind of just going in and thinking, I want to bump genitals with someone. I totally agree. So much that you said that's so important. Like, I have been in clubs and dungeons before where there's the token super fucking creepy guy who literally just kind of like shuffles up to every single woman as like, hi, you want to fuck? (laughs) You know? And then you're like, no. And then they go right to the person standing directly next to you. Hi. Hi. You want to do something? Yeah. Right. You know, and it's like you watch him go around the room and it's just like so terrible feeling. And then there's also the people who... It's like, of course, people are there to have fun and to socialize and maybe to have sex or to do something kinky. And so if they're having sex or doing something kinky, you have an opportunity to see that unfold. But don't like shuffle up close to the action. Yeah. And like stand over someone or like try to interrupt or like try to give compliments or just kind of have that weird like I want to be part of this vibe. Yes. Let people have their space. Stand back. Appreciate it like art all right like that's really interesting or really beautiful or I'm feeling really aroused because we can feel aroused without having to touch ourselves absolutely and if if you're too close to um like if if you're close enough that someone could come on you then you're too close yep agreed I think it's really a wonderful thing to have those tiered goals of like Ultimately, maybe I'd like to have a sexual exchange with someone, but the likelihood that's going to happen, especially when you're new is mm-hmm. pretty low. Yeah. And so how can I get to know people? Cause like, exactly like you said, usually when I go to those spaces, I am ridiculously guarded. Yes, me too. I only want to interact with people that I already know and that I have relationships with. And, you know, barring something really unusual, uh, the likelihood I'm going to say yes to somebody that I don't know or have only talked to a, a few times to pretty much anything is very low. Mm-hmm. And like, and so I think one of the beautiful things too about sex clubs is one, it gives you an opportunity to develop rejection resilience. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go in knowing almost every single person here is pretty guarded then the likelihood that you're going to hear a lot of no's is high. And if you know that going in, then you can kind of practice not taking that personally. Absolutely. And I can tell you for a fact, when I see people manage rejection really well in a situation like that, it makes a huge impression on me. Yes. So take that rejection gracefully. And the more gracefully you do that, the more people are going to see this person isn't just here to try and use me like a disposable toy or a hole that they can put their penis into. And um, I think that it ups your chances to actually having interesting conversations and meeting people and, and maybe engaging in some physical things that aren't sex. And that's delicious too. And of course, men come in entitled and feeling like they have access. But um, when you go to a, a space where lots of people really know each other and the rules and the consent are very centered, those dudes get shot down pretty damn quickly. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, as a, as a woman, even though I, I teach in sex clubs, I'm teaching there this weekend, and like it's, I, I walk in and, and I'm, I immediately am guarded and shut down yep. and, and it's, and, and for good reason, I think there's, um, you know, there, there's sometimes I, I see complaints on, on discussion threads about like how it's so hard to get laid. And it's like, you know, how can nobody wants to talk to me and everyone's a snob and couples are, the, well, but a lot of that behavior is, is as a result of not really knowing what the, the etiquette <laughs> mm-hmm. is and um, people who do walk in entitled and, and people who make other people feel unsafe. And so some yeah. clubs are a lot better at um, nurturing an environment either by their physical space. So they have more spaces like nooks and crannies where people can actually like do sensual things. And it's not just a bunch of mattresses or beds. Mm -hmm. Um, and other places, um, have different ideas around what consent 
looks like and uh, you know is it okay because someone's wearing a very low back teddy that when I'm saying hi to them and I'm introducing myself if I put my hand on the low um, on their lower back right so I would say you know just because someone is skin is more exposed and because you're in that environment you would still you're gonna shake my hand that's yep. that's what I want I don't want your hands on on my thighs it's not a, a free-for-all um, and so lots of people have had really negative experiences um, and I think people kind of going in who are new to the scene need to be mindful of that. They may have not contributed to it, but you don't want to add to people's past trauma. Yeah. And like, I think it's worth mentioning just because you're going to a sex club or a dungeon, it doesn't mean anybody owes you sex, even if you paid money to get in. And even if you pay money multiple times to get in, Yes, like it's not a vending machine. It's a social space with an opportunity to engage with people in a way that we don't usually get to engage with them, but you still have to engage with people and treat them like human beings and be respectful. And so like, just, I think for Victor specifically, if you find a place near you that has a, a space where people can engage in sexual activity, be it kinky or vanilla or a swingers club, just knowing that like, just because you go and you pay the entrance fee doesn't mean sex happens. You have to still do a lot of the work of being a decent human being and listening to people's stories and um, making friendships and developing relationships. And, and then maybe some fun things might happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like going in looking for a warm body to like masturbate in is not attractive. (laughs) Like it's just not attractive. (laughs) And also you have a ton of competition. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. lots of people there who have learned the scene, who are in the scene and who know who maybe are, if you're shy or you're introverted, that that kind of environment can be really tough for you to find out like, what are your elements of social lube like for this situation? But it, it is kind of, even if you kind of hang back and you're smiling and making eye contact, like that says something about your presence. I love your suggestion of checking out if the local community has like a chat room or mm-hmm. even like a board on FetLife that they yeah. use a lot. Totally. Because I think one of the most exhausting things that you can do is to show up to one of these spaces and then expect the people there to do the labor of teaching you how to be in the space. Yeah. You know, like the, I didn't know better doesn't work. in most situations. So you've got to do a little bit of that work ahead of time. Yes, I totally agree. I recently had Bex Caputo on the show. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about platonic kink. Mm -hmm. And that got a lot of people really super interested because I think a lot of people don't know that um, kink and DS can be Mm non-sexual. And I know that non-sexual DS is something that you teach. And I would love it if you could talk a little bit about your experiences of like non-sexual DS. And of course, like we can have lots of non-sexual DS that then has some sex, but then goes back to non-sexual. But like, I just want to kind of learn from you what non-sexual DS looks like. Cause so many people were like, holy crap, I didn't know that this was an option. Maybe I can do this with my friends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so I'm so excited you asked about that because I I was surprised that people were interested in it too. And I teach a class on non-sexual submission and domination. And it's one of my most popular ones. Um, even for people who are uh, very experienced in kink or for for newbies who are kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to do like, like sex with this, but like the idea of um, whatever kink they're, or fetish they're interested in is really appealing to them. So it can be like kind of like a gateway into navigating things. Um, and that's how it was for me. I When I started exploring femdoming, I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know. Like, what, <laughs> is there like a checklist or like a menu? Like, what do I, what do, I do? And uh, I, I really stayed at the, the non-sexual side because I wanted to stay in my head and, and I wanted to be able to like master technique and also master like learning about what motivates my submissives. And, and it can work the other way if you're a non-sexual submissive and you're looking to um, have a non-sexual dominant, like you're also kind of learning what inspires this person's dominance and does it meet your, your type of, of submission. Um, and so it gave me a chance to explore identity. It gave me a chance to explore like what activities I'm into. It gave me a chance to explore like what type of submissives I'm into. And my first real experience was with non-sexual service submissives. So service mm. submissives really love um, any type of, of um, anything that they're doing for you. And it doesn't have to be um, 
sexual. So they're not giving me any body contact. They're not giving me any um, sexual things like oral. Um, but I have a, a service submissive, a lifestyle submissive. So who's my one of my um, partners? And he is a cross-dressing maid. And he believes in female supremacy as part of his like kinky role play. And so his, his ideal fantasy was to be able to serve um, a goddess or a queen or a female dominant um, in a way that uh, makes her life easier. And mm. so he likes this idea of just showing up, getting dressed into his maid's outfit, cleaning my bathroom and kitchen, sometimes making me breakfast or, or whatever his tasks are for the day. And I was like, I don't see anything wrong with this. <laughs> yes. But then it came like, I had to really explore, like it was very unnerving for me. It was, it was tough for me to receive service in that way. And where I would just like lie on the couch and like maybe call him names or whatever we had negotiated was part of his scene. And not everyone that's interested in non-sexual submission is interested in humiliation and degradation, but that happened to be part of his particular bag of interest. Um, but it was it was interesting to explore themes like objectification, um, mm. things like cross-dressing or, or things that have um, a, an arousing or erotic experience for one person, but it doesn't necessarily have it for me. Like I don't mm -hmm. look at him and I'm, I'm not aroused or um, I'm not turned on genitally, but I'm, I'm turned on. I've developed this like arousal from the power that I get that this person is genuinely here in his subspace and in his like fantasy space um, and emotionally invested in, in playing out this role that he lives in a world of female supremacy for the two hours a week that he's here. Yeah. Um, so I find like a non-sexual submission and domination gives you a, a great high from the themes, the moods, the flavors, and you could easily translate those into um, a sexual scene if you wanted to, or you can transpose those feelings and moods into um, other kinds of, of sex that you have where you get way more connected to what the intention is behind the non-sexual submission and, and domination. Mm -hmm. um, and other non-sexual submissives, like when we brainstorm in, in my workshops, people bring up things like footstools or human furniture or human toilets or human urinals or um, puppies or um, like pet play. Um, also different kinds of things around... Um, uh, pay pigs so people who like to be financially dominated um, and there's not there's not a sex uh, element involved cuckolding can also kind of like straddle um, non-sexual and sexual so the definition for sexual is is fairly loose mm -hmm. um, I usually describe it in a class in that like like orgasm is not necessarily the goal of, of, of the play um, and nobody has to be naked nobody has to be in in sexual positions um, but you can make it whatever you want. Like it might be the non-sexual submission is part of your or domination is, is part of your um, foreplay. And maybe that leads you into something. Um, other types can include, I had a, a, um, a man slave. And so his idea was that he also liked to be very useful to women, um, but then uh, wanted to be like beat up afterwards. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to go take a class. <laughs> And then he put up like a curtain and uh, I don't know how to do those things either. I didn't bother to take a class for that, but I talk, took a class to like how to like do proper body uh, rough play mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and afterwards wanted his like balls beat up. And so I teach cock and ball torture. So I was like, okay, like I know, I know how to do that safely. And, but I was confused. Sometimes it takes me a while to like understand what their motivation is. And I think letting go of you know, how did you get this way? Or how did you get this fantasy? Like, what's the pathology that made you like this thing mm -hmm. is actually really liberating in non-sexual submission and domination. And, and some people have a story that like enlightens and kind of infuses into the present day fantasy that they want to use, that their sisters dressed them up in clothing or like did whatever. And other people are kind of like, I don't know, I just like this. And so I've, I've learned to sort of just trust that and then invite them to tell me more where they're comfortable so that I get more information to make the fantasy more intense and erotic for both of us. I think it's just so interesting what you said about how you're not like sexually aroused by your lovely ma maid. Yes. Um, but that there is pleasure and arousal in like the power and the exchange. And I think that that's so important because so much of our culture, because we're so sex negative, means that we're also so super obsessed with sex is the answer to so many things. And and I think we often place sex as kind of like the pinnacle of um, pleasure and the erotic 
in our human experience. And it's like, it can be, but there's so many other pathways to like connection and pleasure and the erotic and Sometimes they have to do with art or with dance or with movement or with food because food can be so freaking sensual and erotic, Um, you know, flavors and textures. But then also this opportunity to engage in like non-sexual DS and non-sexual kink where maybe it's truly platonic where it's friends just wanting an opportunity to to have some sensation because it feels like a release for stress or anxiety or loneliness, or maybe it's this element of the non-sexual DS where you've got someone who just really wants to serve and it's Mm -hmm. not about the sex. It's about the energy and the exchange and the opportunities that we have to create things that feel important and fun and curious and different and new are like endless. But so many of us are just so focused on like, how do I get something into this hole and move it around a little bit? And how do I get people to give me that opportunity when like as good as that can be and great as that can be, there's so many interesting things available to us that we just don't even know are an option because we haven't given ourselves an opportunity to just dream that big. Yes, totally. And I think some people get off on the fact that the non-sexual submission and domination is also a denial of um, their orgasm or a denial yeah. of their genital pleasure or, um, or like or typical pleasure. And and you're so right. Like the the access to these erotic spaces and erotic turn-ons that we don't necessarily prioritize when when we're having other types of sex are so much more heightened in in non-sexual. Um, submission and mm-hmm. and domination. And I had an experience just before Christmas with one of my uh, best friends, who's a who's a gay man, and so we're not we're not sexual at all. And we ended up um, deciding that we wanted to um, beat up a, a someone who enjoys playing as a slave. And and so we had this person over, and it was very interesting because it was also a safety thing for me. So I I can't always feel safe and comfortable when I have a hookup I I still feel like this is Mm -hmm. like stranger danger stuff and um and so it was interesting to have someone else there for for to be with someone new um and to also kind of like riff off of each other (laughs) you know there were times where like I was like kicking balls and he was punching the dude's ass and you know it was it was really interesting to go to that space and be witnessed by someone else but not be Mm -hmm. sexually charged um to that person and afterwards I felt the same kind of erotic exhaustion that I would have felt had I had like marathon fucking sex yes yeah and I think that's so important to name right like I was at a play party once where um, I got to hold space mm-hmm. for three people that wanted to do this really um, intense ritual. The rest of us just kind of got to like hold space in this really powerfully erotic way and witness. And and afterwards, I felt that same kind of like come down that I feel from being flogged or, you know, from being physically involved in something. And I think that's so powerful and something else that people don't often give themselves the opportunity to experience of like, just because we're naked or just because we're doing things that for some other people might be sexual, it doesn't mean it has to be sexual. And if it's not sexual, it doesn't mean that you also won't still have some kind of release or pleasure or um, kind of movement inside of your body, you know, where you feel like, oh, yeah, that was really satisfying. That was yes. really good. Like, I'm ready to go get some pancakes or something, you know, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. like we, we don't allow ourselves to have those experiences because they don't fit in the script of what our society tells us we should be wanting. Right. Yes, I totally agree. And I, and I think a lot of people um, kind of see my workshop sometimes and they're like, well, why would I do that if I don't want to have sex? <laughs> you know, for me, it's like if there's another way for me to be turned on and get pleasure, I want to know. So yeah. like, I want to like uncover all those crevices and stimulate things and try things. And if it, if it feels safe, like going into it and, and I enjoy myself, then maybe I'll try it again. And, and it depends on the person's connection too. some people inspire me to feel really dominant or, or dominant from like a mean perspective or dominant from a more nurturing perspective. Um, and on the occasion when I sub like that also has like, like particular inspiration too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's just like, oh my gosh. I just want so many people that like, we are such a touch 
starved society. Mm-hmm. We feel like touch is only for very specific types of relationships in very specific ways. And it's one of the reasons why cis dudes have so much interest in sex. It's because it's the only place where it's safe for them to be touched. Yeah. And when we start inviting in these non-sexual exchanges where we get to do these really fun, interesting things with friends or with acquaintances or with a group of people that we just met, but we're at a workshop, you know, it's an opportunity to be touched and seen and to connect. And I mean, like, that's just such a fundamental part of health and the human experience. So by allowing ourselves to get curious about like, well, what are all of the non-sexual ways I might be able to explore this? Suddenly there's so many more people that are available to you to be connecting with and to enjoy time with. And I mean, it's just like, uh, it just feels so rich. Yes, I totally agree. And and I feel like like being able to co-create those scenes are... It, it can just kind of expand your own imagination as you try and realize someone else's fantasy. Yeah. And and so the sissy made thing, I just thought it was interesting when I saw his post and, and he's been serving me for about four years. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's really wonderful to kind of um, find something. And at first I didn't, I wasn't into it. I was like, I don't get why he does this. Like I kept, I felt very unconfident in, in that kind of role play, not unsafe, but definitely like unconfident. And um, it, it really helped me also build my confidence around being able to say what kind of doming I'm, I am comfortable with and, um, it explored and expanded my interest in um, erotic humiliation, but that's very playful. And so, you know, he'll be like cleaning the mirrors and I'll say, Sissy, you know, sing Aretha Franklin while you're cleaning the mirrors. <laughs> and so <laughs> like, it's very entertaining. Um, it is a lot of emotional labor. I think people mm-hmm. forget that like kink, especially if you're topping, is is a lot of, of emotional labor and being present um, and connected to your your submissive and especially when they go to the spaces where they're surrendering emotionally or mentally are you there with them like are you making sure that you're still inviting and giving them permission to um communicate like does something not feel good or does something feel like extra good yeah oh my gosh i got this question about a long distance virgin relationship and i was wondering if you wanted to help me field it sure Okay, so Hopeless Lover wrote in with a subject line of long distance virgin, and it says, Hi, Dawn, I just started listening to your podcast and love it. I wanted to ask for some advice. About six months ago, I started dating an amazing guy. He's perfect in every way. I could honestly see myself spending the rest of my life with him. We're long distance. We met this way and have been making it work for the last few months. A few months into our relationship, after messing around but never fully having sex, I asked him why he wouldn't give in. He told me he was a virgin. We're in our late 20s, so I was shocked at the beginning, but open-minded. So finally, a month ago, we had sex for the first time. He didn't quite know what he was doing, but that's expected with a virgin. And because we're long distance, we don't get the chance to practice a lot. So this past weekend, we tried having sex for the second time, and he couldn't come. He said it was due to being used to masturbating a certain way, but I can't help but feel like I'm not pleasing him in bed. Have any advice? Thanks, hopeless lover. Aw, there's so much in that. First of all, that's such a cute story. (laughs) I know, isn't it? I love that. And I love that they found each other, you know, like that's so adorable. Um, I, I, you know, what I hear in that too, is like the, the pressure that virginity has, has put on us and the concept <laughs> of, of virginity and, mm-hmm. and this idea that, you know, we can have done other things with our bodies and created like sexual and sensual spaces and, but we're still virgins. And so yeah. it's like, it, it's this build up to this, like, you know, thing, which many of us still hold as, as really important and that's Okay. Um, but I think it, it does put like so much pressure in an expectation for continuing to have like, you know, really good sex. Like we've never, we've never learned how to do that. And, you know, we've not talked about it because we're you know busy trying to be virgins and, and protect our, um, sanctity around this thing that we've been told is really important. Um, so I think it's super understandable that like that hopeless lover is, is feeling kind of like, well, what do we do now? Like now it's not good. And, um, I think there's, there's a challenge that's, 
that happens with um, long distance relationships where your problems, um, I was in a long distance uh, relationship for the beginning of my, um, my marriage where uh, I was sponsoring my um, ex-husband. And so we were separated for like about a year. And so all of our problems uh, were amplified by distance. So things that wouldn't have, would have been like non-starters just like yeah. were, it was amplified. And also all of our intensity around our romance was intensified. So I think the lens of like the, the long distance relationship can also, and I know you talk a lot about that too, Dawn, and, and a lot of our other old school uh, pleasure professionals have great advice around long distance and maintaining connection. Um, but I think like around it, I, I, I think that not knowing this person's uh, body or like whatever um, their history has come with that he may be right and he may be um, feeling like uh, he's used to a particular kind of stimulation from his own hand or fist. And so that can be really hard to replicate with someone else's vagina or mouth or someone else's hand. And yeah. And so the the stimulation part of it, yeah, like that's that that could be like a real physical barrier. Um, there's also a lot of pressure if like when you're meeting your extended or your long distance lover <laughs> and you only have like two days to like you know fuck each other's brains out and like yes. you know bond and connect and and so that that could also be adding to it. Um, I think that there are ways that they can maintain connection uh, throughout that would. Um, kind of arouse and, and engage their sexual selves. So when they meet in person, it's not like, oh, this is the only time we're being sexual. Like they can right. they can feel sexual through like writing erotica to each other or sending p- each other like erotica that you've read and masturbated to or, um, you know, sexting about the things that, that you would like to do when, when you get together. So different narratives or stories or fantasy sharing and really getting to know each other beyond um, just like your crotches. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and talking about the things that you'd like to try or even reminiscing and being like, I loved when you kissed my neck for like five minutes before you did anything else. Yeah. Um, neck kissing, right? Neck kissing. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think that, that um, I, I think it's so wonderful that that hopeless lover really wants to um, please uh, their partner and and bring pleasure to them and I think one of the great ways to do that is like building our own kind of confidence and joy mm-hmm. in, in also receiving pleasure because I'm sure he also feels the same way like oh damn like I can't like perform yeah um and also letting go of that like orgasm is is the final sign that someone has had like a really good time like oh, I yes you know, like I, I actually kind of like it because I mean, once the, <laughs> if someone doesn't come, I'm like, great, sex wasn't dependent on the length of your orgasm. And we right. know that like vulvas and vaginas orgasm differently than penises do. So um, there could also be a conversation around like, okay, well, you can't come. So like, what else, what else can we do that feels good for you? Doesn't necessarily right. have to be orgasmic. Like maybe we discover like, is your, are your nipples amazing can we read that erotica that i sent to you like can we read it together while we're in bed just kind of cuddling naked Mm -hmm. let's not use orgasm as the measurement to being a good lover uh, because there's so many things that go into a really mutually enjoyable and satisfying sexual encounter and they may or may not involve genitals they may or may not involve coming and also giving it yourselves an opportunity to expand your ideas about what sex is because mm-hmm. if if he masturbates in a really specific way and that's how he likes to come then who's to say that masturbating in front of you it doesn't count as a sex sexual exchange oh, or sex you so know? hot so hot right yeah. i know like why can't you be rubbing all the bits and kissing and touching and fingering and using toys and then you know at some point he starts touching himself and you get to touch yourself or watch and, and like talk to him about how you feel watching him do that and then maybe he like comes all over himself and you like lay on top of him and kiss him I mean like there's just there's so many ways that this could be an amazing delicious yummy experience with so much less pressure and expectations around who's doing what right and who who knows how to do what and whose bodies are doing what like let's just if we're together so infrequently then when we're together, let's just do whatever we can to like minimize pressure and expectations and maximize delight and enjoyment and connection and all of the things that just make it feel so much more special and wonderful because that time is so limited. So yeah, I like love all of your suggestions. Yeah, totally. Oh, okay. <laughs> I could literally talk to you for like two more hours. Me too. 
Yeah. But I would love it if you would share with everyone how they can find you online and stay in touch with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm lunamatadas.com, which is like Hakuna Matadas, but Luna. And uh, I'm that on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And on FetLife is the only place where I'm different. I'm something shiny on FetLife. So that's that you all get my little secret handle on, <laughs> on FetLife. Um, <laughs> and I actually I love it when people write me and, and tell me their stories or have questions. And um, so it'd be great to stay engaged with with your listeners, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I will, of course, have all of those links at sexgetsreal.com for this episode. Luna, I want to thank you so much for chatting with me. And of course, for Patreon supporters, there's a little bonus discussion that Luna and I are about to go have about water sports and piss play. So be sure to check that out. But thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Dawn. This was so much fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yay! And to everybody, please head to sexgetsreal.com. If you've got any comments or questions, you can submit stories and anything you want to know about both anonymously or provide your email address. Sometimes I have a chance to respond. Otherwise, thank you so much for being here and I will talk to you next week. Bye.